Okay, so we are moseying through the book of Numbers. Um, today's is actually two chapters, 23 and 24. And it's kind of in the, in the middle of a story, in the middle of a narrative, right? Um, where uh, the Moabite king, Balak, B-A-L-A-K, uh, sees that the Israelites are so numerous, there's no way that they could his country could overcome them or defeat them. And so he hires Balaam, B-A-L-A-A-M, for uh, to curse them, right? He apparently has the power to declare or pronounce curses. And uh, so we had the donkey incident last time we, we were gathered. Uh, but now he finally shows up and, uh, you know, he, he, welcome, he Balaam is welcomed by Balak. And then they get down to business, right? And so um, it's a long passage. So why don't we read it to ourselves? 23 and 24. And if you could pop up, pop up the first question also, if you guys want to answer that in the chat or um, just hold on to it and you can answer it verbally once we're all done. Okay, um, as you finish reading, or, or did it, does anyone want to venture a guess on how many uh, um, oracles Balaam uttered? Can you define oracle? Nope. This is a trick question then. <laughs> I think so. Well, how about the ones where it says Balaam uttered this oracle or something to that effect? The word oracle needs to be there to be counted by my for my question. No takers. Uh, seven. Seven, really? Okay, that's one uh, suggestion, seven. Who else has a, a number for us other than Matt? Um, maybe, I think it's like three or four. Three or four, okay. Any other? Estimates. Seven. 
Okay. Um, someone else? I, uh, I try to disguise my, my voice, but I, I think my, I counted seven along with Matt. Um, so you have, um, but, but Mary's right. And, and, you know, it depends on, on what you're defining it as, but I would look at verses one to 10 as the first Oracle and then verses 11 to 24 as the second. And then, um, verses 25 to uh, the start of the next chapter, say until verse nine as the fourth, third oracle. So those are the formal oracles where they actually, you know, went through the rituals, which we'll talk about in a bit. And then uh, verse 15 of chapter 24, there's something kind of spon more spontaneous, right? Um, just that he just, you know, just spoke an oracle, even though it wasn't requested or prepared. And it's actually very, it, instead of talking about the Israelites, it was actually against the Moabites. So <laughs> uh, Balak certainly wasn't happy with that. And then verse 20 is uh, Oracle against Amalek. So these are not different countries. I guess they're neighboring countries. Verse 21 is against the Kenites. And then verse 23 uh, doesn't really describe uh, I don't think they know where Kittim is, I believe. And so it's just uh, uh, another another oracle. Um, and th they all are all either overcome, destroyed, or ruined by the power and the might of the Israelites. All right. Okay. Thank you. Uh, number two, question number two. What do you think was the purpose of the preparations and rituals that were engaged in? prior to Balaam seeking a word from God. So they go through various, uh, like a protocol or whatever Balaam says Balak should do, uh, they do that. So what are some of the aspects of it? And then um, what do you think the purpose was? Go ahead and pop it in the chat, or if you want to verbalize it, please share. I think that's it's traditional, right? Or at least there's kind of long-standing traditions that's been passed down in the um, Middle Eastern Semitic um, tribes, and uh, you know, not quite sure what the purpose is, but um, at least that seems to be the practice. Okay, thank you. 
Diana says Balaam's usual sacrifices for divination. So uh, Balaam is the one directing um, Balak, you know, the procedure, right? One commentary said that um, although the, the, this was a pagan ritual um, or whatever, I mean, God's involved, but it's it's not a like a, a Israelite ritual that the writer wanted to make it understandable to the Israelite mind and so could have, you know, borrowed some of the Israelite practices. But um, what are some of the things that they um, he's told to do? What do they do? Yeah, right. The seven, the number seven, like in, in I think the Hebrew mindset, seven is a sense of complete, completeness or completion, seven days of creation. So kind of like a, I guess it's it's to indicate this kind of, you know, you're you're all in, you're you're, you're committed or dedicated to to this. Uh, you're leaving nothing back, as you seek, whatever to try to get God to to utter something for what you're looking for. Anything else? So it seems like elevation is important. Like each time Balak takes Balaam to um, a place that's high enough to kind of visualize or observe the people that Balak wants cursed, right? So visual field um, is apparently important. Um, I guess, you know, we could conjecture that, you know, when you're cursing, like you want to know the object of the curse. But interestingly, like the Israelites were so numerous that they couldn't really find a high enough place, right? So that, that kind of says something about that. Uh, Balak is told to stand by the altar, like stand by the sacrifice. So as to, you know, it's not just kind. So it's kind of like somehow involves Balak's, you know, sincerity or his, Again, commitment to what is being asked. Um, there is a, a sense of, of separation or distance. Balaam goes away each time, at least when they go through the procedures, um, in order to, um, I guess, be separate or distinct or kind of not profane with the profane or... or, or Kind of the the, the mundane um, you know people it was kind of a, a special I guess trying to ride the divine currents um, something like that uh, that's going on um, there's also um, the sense of remoteness right a couple of the places are so remote that um, kind of um, that's more of this kind of isolation or separation from from society slash civilization uh, like and you get that in other you know biblical motifs right scriptural scriptures have like the israelites themselves you know they their time in the wilderness right was not all that pleasant but it was kind of a, uh, a time with god right a time of training time of discipline 
uh, a time of learning trust. Jesus, John the Baptist, you know, this kind of going to the desert or the wilderness. These are themes that kind of kind of manifest. So clearly, right, um, Balak and Balaam are trying to invoke the power of God, trying to get on God's good side, in trying to, um, you know. Uh, uh, evoke invoke this kind of idea of you know getting god to do something that that balak wanted right but of course um none of them is successful in fact it's you know goes against them so question the next question is about the actual oracles themselves Let, let's focus on the uh, uh i guess the first three uh the ones about israel what are the main themes of the oracles that you guys um observe Okay, uh, Matt, where do you see those particular ones, or are they in all kind of woven into all of them? Um, I see the uh, being numerous in the first one. Yes. Um, and then uh, the prosperity one, where he talks about them like having overflowing. Um, the third the, one, right? Third one, yeah. Yeah. Good, thank you. Uh, Peter posted something. Yeah. Um, where do you see that special status with God? Uh, so, um, you know, when it talks about, I think in the second one, it's like how God is, how God is with them. And then the first one, they're like a people who are apart. 
live apart. Um, and then the third one, I think that is just kind of, I don't know, like when they, when, when it, he's talking about how beautiful their dwelling places are, there's a kind of, it sort of reminds me, it's almost like um, echoes of like Garden of Eden or something that something kind of, uh, I know, because they're in, uh, they're like in the desert, aren't they? So it just seems like a weird description. But. Yeah, and then maybe the last part of, of verse nine, may those who bless you be blessed. So yeah, I, I think that's a, that is a theme that runs throughout. Uh, another suggestion was strength equals lying, prey, blood, spawn. Yeah, so there's uh, quite a, um, the, I guess a natural metaphor of, of animals, strong, powerful, uh, predatory animals, and um, a kind of like a rawness, uh, I think, to it. And uh, they will indeed uh, kind of destroy their prey, right? These, this is it's almost like a feral um, kind of ferocity, I was thinking, um, to the description of their power. And so, um, you know, Moab, Moab is right to uh, kind of, you know, shake in their boots or sandals, whatever they're wearing, kind of uh, realizing that um, they're going to be super powerful. Okay, David sees a messianic reference. Where exactly, bro? It's uh, the one in chapter 24. Uh, it's a star shall appear from Jacob, a scepter shall rise from Israel. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, brief. Yeah, so that's the fourth oracle verse. Yeah, 17. 17. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, like um, receptor. Um, it's not overt, but it hints at it. Yeah, like that reminds me of Jacob's um, when he blessed his sons, right? Judah, the scepter will not depart from Judah. And then the star, I'm not sure there's other references, but, you know, yeah, the, the, the morning star and then the star of David, I think. Okay, good. Thank you. Any other uh, observations? Yeah, I think um, uh, what, in addition to what you guys said, just as an overall thing, I guess in the context of the oracles and cursing and blessing, um, I got the impression that what um, God was saying through Balaam was, Israel is kind of uncursable. <laughs> untouchable they, they as, as peter stated it they have a special status with god here are their you know quali qualities and uh, it's because of god's protection his favor um so you know the very thing that Balak wanted so badly and was willing to pay a lot of money for to jump through all of the you know these kind of ritualistic hoops um, this was um, completely off limits. This was completely impossible because, you know, God um, was, had chosen these people. God was 
God was their God, right? And so no matter what um, what uh, Balaam or Bela could try to throw at them, that was ultimately going to be frustrated. Yeah, so it kind of backfires this whole enterprise, right? To try to damage the Israelites. Um, it turns out that um, Balak um, it, it learns uh, a difficult lesson for him that there is no way that uh, God can be manipulated, persuaded, coerced into um, fighting for uh, uh, fighting against uh, his people, right? Uh, and, and I think that's something for us to, um, you know, maybe oracles aren't spoken, um, you know, in this manner. But um, a lot of the themes that I think apply to Israel can can be uh, in, you know, also held to, you know, it holds true for the people of God now, right? The church uh, through... Um, not physical uh, location or, um, you know, physical, you know, warfare, military warfare. Um, you know, um, we, we have this kind of status, this kind of divine favor, uh, this kind of special blessing, right, from God. Like, so the first oracle, there's that stuff about um, the, I see a people who live apart and do not consider themselves one of the nations, verse 9 of chapter 23, right? Uh, that is, you know, uh, I think a real um, pretty precise description of what the church is supposed to be in the world, but not of the world, right? They are... Um, holy right that's what uh, the definition right is to be set apart to be consecrated right not for everyday common normal use but for a special purpose right to be god's representatives his ambassadors um ministers of reconciliation salt and light um you know there's shining as stars in a crooked and depraved generation. There's so many ways in which Christians and the church is described as distinctive, different you know, than the processes of, of the world. Right? So that's a constant kind of question to ask ourselves personally and our families and our community, our church community. Right? Is there that kind of um, distinction, not, 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 not a weirdness per se, not just difference for the sake of difference, but because of our total devotion to God, because of God's blessing and God's act in our lives, God's intervention, God's, God's power uh, in our lives, right? Uh, this, we are no ordinary gathering. Our society, even though the members like you and me are not special, but the God who calls us together is special, right? The work that he does in us, the work that he calls us to do, the way in which we conduct ourselves, right? The choices that we make, the way we spend our money, the kind of 
you know, well, we, things that we're willing to get all excited and heated about, how we do conflict uh, resolution, right? um, what kind of purposes we have, where we live, um, how we spend our time, you know, what, how we um, raise our children, how we educate them. You know, there's just in, in, in so many facets of life, right? Christians individually and the church collectively uh, have an opportunity to really live out this special call, this special uh, purpose, right? Um, that uh, God has um, provided uh, to uh, to us, right? Even the definition or the meaning of the word church, right? So um, the word church comes from the Latin word, I think, curia, cone, something like that, um, which means of the Lord, right? Um, but it the, the the most basic etymology that came from the Greek word ekklesia, right? Ekklesia, and ek means out, and um, let's say means people. I think so. Um, what the the definition, the Greek definition of the word translated church, is called out ones or called out people, right? So the image is that out of all of humanity, the the mass of humanity, God has called. Um, individuals into an assembly, a gathering, a community, right? We're called out from the normal flow of civilization and of life and of the world to uh, be yeah, distinct, right? To be called out to and called in to, to something um, that is holy, that is something that is special, something that's, you know, eternal. So it's uh, a great privilege, sure, surely, and a great responsibility right, that we do that. Um, funny, um, I was thinking about, uh, apparently the word ecclesia before the, before the Christians started, kind of took over the word to use it for, for church. Um, it was actually often used for political assemblies people that kind of gathered together, called out for a purpose of, of joining in political assembly. So I was thinking about Christian nationalism <laughs> and all the polit political craziness and stuff. And there's a special connection to today's, today's times. Anyway, uh, we are um, the ones who God has, um, you know, selected. And uh, we are not to be like one of the nations. We have um, a mission, and uh, it's incumbent upon us to live that mission and maybe continually evaluate whether we're living that mission in, in, towards God's pleasure. Um, the um, another kind of thing that we can say is about this kind of um, victory, right? Um, you know, Christians, um, the church, right? um, uh, to live a life of victory, to live a life of, of overcoming, uh, to live a life that um, kind of wages war, if you will, against evil, against sin. Right? That's how I would translate or kind of apply some of these um, 
kind of strength imagery this like victory image right it's not about um, land anymore it's not a a kingdom on earth but it's a spiritual kingdom where we have been given power to fight um for for god right fight for justice fight for truth fight for purity uh to i think as peter said uh achieve that you know beautiful society right uh, maybe not a utopia on earth but the kind of community in which you know we do feel that there are gardens and aloe plants and cedars uh, that there's an abundance right water flowing seed uh, etc um, and it's funny because the israelites as again as i think peter pointed out is <laughs> they never experienced this so, you know here and there they had an oasis they had you know a lot of you know the, these miracles but um they are pretty dry <laughs> spiritually dry through uh, quite a few period but this again this is god's plan this is god's vision this is what god is promising them especially in uh, the promised land and in order to acquire it they're going to have to fight and god's going to empower them so yeah this kind of description of our um um what we should look like in terms of um you know our, our victory and in terms of our um, the, the the blessedness of of being under God um, uh, together. Right? And the last thing I'll say about the oracles is what I mentioned: May those who bless you be blessed, and those who curse you be cursed. Right? It goes all the way back to the Abrahamic uh, blessing, where God tells um, Abraham to go to this land, right, the land of Canaan. Although. Abraham doesn't know it at that time to go by faith and that he God was going to make Abraham a blessing right he's going to bless him and make him a blessing and of course that is a messianic um, kind of reference that uh, through him through Abraham all people will be blessed and God was so committed to Abraham that those who blessed Abraham would be blessed and those who cursed him would be cursed and yeah, there was uh, there's a lot of interesting kind of things that happened to Abraham, where even ethically you question his decision or what he did, but God <clears throat> really stuck with his commitment to him, and God does that for us, right? And we are not only, um, you know, the blessing and the curses. Um, I think God uh, um, holds holds up his end. His, he honors that, right? Uh, but, uh, uh, you know, you could even argue that, you know, some of the very um, access to these blessings really depend on us, right? The keys of the kingdom are given us. Right? The, the way to salvation is in our hearts, our mouths, our actions, right? If we don't convey the message of salvation, of reconciliation to God through our words and through our deed, people are going to be cut off. They, God is depending on us. He's entrusted 
uh, to us, um, the means of blessing, right? So it's funny because you know we we all want we all want to be blessed. We want our kids to be blessed. We want our families. We want our friends uh, to be blessed. But somehow it's counterintuitive, right? When we seek our own blessing on our own by by the world's ways, um, you know, God sometimes blocks the door. Sometimes He leaves it wide open, right? And we continue to live in that those by those rules and by that dynamic but um there's kind of a, a subversive way too right that, that god's given us meaning that um when we seek to uh, serve god when instead of um our ultimate blessing being the primary motivation and the most important factor you know, my vision of my life, what I wanted to be when I was 25 or when I'm 45. And, you know, all of these kind of, you know, evidences or proofs that, you know, I've made it, you know, that I've achieved my own dreams, right? God says, surrender them to me, submit them to the Lord. Seek first God's kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be added into you. So, it's almost like by, you know, it, it's upside down. It's by losing our life, we'll save it. By becoming last, we become first. By becoming the servant of all, we become great in God's kingdom, right? So um, it's funny, I think, when you, when we seek personal success, um, you know, we might get it in some degree, but uh, we potentially miss out, right? We cut ourselves off from the ultimate blessings that God wants to give to those who put him first and are not looking for the blessings per se, but have a relationship with the blesser, right? And not only for ourselves, but for others, right? When we seek to uh, the, the good of many, when we uh, invest in people's lives, when we give up and do with less so that others can have a little bit uh, how God sometimes just opens right the uh, the spout and you know uh, abundance reigns in right it might not be monetary abundance it might be but there is a certain joy and a certain power and a certain uh, uh, satisfaction and contentment. Uh, when, when that's done, I, I always think when I think of abundance, when I think of this kind of blessing, I always think of the feeding of the 5,000, right? It was such an outstanding miracle, such a big miracle. But it started when one boy um, was willing to offer five loaves and two fish to, you know, to Jesus, right? So when he, instead of hoarding his his possessions or his gift or his lunch <laughs> or his blessings, right? By in faith, giving it to Jesus, right? Um, it fed a multitude. It fed him too, right? The, the little boy was blessed and disciples, right? The act of keep giving it out, even though, you know, I, I can, I, I know that I only have like 10 rolls in my, in my, um, in my basket, but <laughs> I'm going to keep serving. I'm going to keep giving. I'm going to keep trying to bless others. And as they do that, you know, they, the, the supply never ends, right? It's, uh, there's so much to give, right? 
Yeah. So I always, um, I, I really, I really feel that the lesson was not necessarily the um, for the people or, or or the little boy or for Jesus is especially for the disciples, right? If they could understand the principle that to be blessed by God, you have to desire, you have to seek to bless others, right? And that I think that sense of satisfaction, right? So I always talk about three satisfactions in that story, right? They were physically satisfied with food, right? Plenty of bread and fish. They were uh, spiritually satisfied because if you remember Jesus taught a long time, that's why there was the uh, the food problem because he taught so late that there was no, no more of the, re the restaurants <laughs> were open, you know, and people were hungry and they're too far to go home. So, you know, Jesus, you know, his Bible study went too long uh, and, but it, given opportunity, right, for people to get blessed in this way. And, and the third type of satisfaction was the disciples. Um, you know, when they were part of this miracle, when they saw that through their actions and obedience, people could, like, wow, it could really be a, a benefit to others. I think they, they, that kind of helped them understand their mission, their calling. Right? I'm called to bless up. I'm called to be Jesus's hands and feet or his loaves and fish or his mouthpiece or, you know, his custodian or his bride giver or, you know, his, his, uh, the person who uh, organizes things or the person who um, kind of figures out, you know, social media or things, you know, there's, there's many needs, there's many ways in which we can try to bless others. And, and even if it's not officially in the church, right? your neighbor, your friend, there's a stranger. There's, there's so many ways that we can, you know, bless others um, and be used like that. And, you know, th that was, I think, the, what God wanted the Israelites to be, a light to the Gentiles. And they were, most of the time, they were just kind of so caught up in themselves that they never really kind of got to enjoy this as much. But uh, now the church is um, given this um, charge, right? You know, okay. Um, I don't have a question uh, for this, but uh, I want to spend the rest of the time just um, I'd like us to kind of um, uh, think about um, anybody want to offer thoughts on uh, kind of Balak and Balaam, right? They were the the main characters along with God in this. But uh how, how would you describe who Balak was, what he learned? Um, you know, how does this story, um, what does it say about Balak? And then Balaam, what does the story say about Balaam? Well, for uh, Balaam, I guess um, he was willing to just be the mouthpiece of God, um, regardless of who uh, or what the circumstance was. He was just going to speak the truth and whatever God had put in his mouth, that that was the message that was going to be relayed to Balak and I guess to anyone else. So I guess he was just a uh, man after uh, speaking God's truth. 
Okay, yeah, and certainly he keeps reiterating, I can only say what God tells me to say, right? So even if you want me to curse and even if you want to pay me a lot of money, it ain't going to happen if God doesn't allow it. So that certainly is there. I guess maybe for a bit, uh, for Belek, he thought that maybe his uh, fortune or the goal, the reward that he would be able to provide, that it would allow him to to get what he wanted, right? That through his wealth, that he would be able to rain down curse upon his enemies, um, that he could buy, quote unquote, buy his um, his um, his what he wanted, right? Be able to get what he wanted to do. Yeah, so um, his view of power, divine power, was that it was available for purchase, right? That it could be manipulated, it could be, if you say the right incantations, if you do the right motions, if you do the right rituals, you know, you might be able to tap into this kind of, almost an impersonal force, right? To do, to, to kind of direct it against your enemies. And so... Yeah, uh, his view of, of, of God was very materialistic. And, um, you know, uh, yeah, I, I think the frustration is, is really evident there. Good. I know, you know, I've taught this a few times, and, and um, it's funny how people pronounce the names. They go Balak, 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 Balaam, Balaam, Balaam. It's, it's just hilarious. So you can call these guys whatever you want, but it's just... So I thought he was a pretty stubborn guy. And Balak was a pretty stubborn guy. Like he he actually what did four made four or five attempts, right? Two attempts to get you know him to come, right? And after he came, he made three attempts, even though it, it's pretty clear every time, like, hey, I don't think I'm gonna do this, and he just kept pushing. Right? He get the sense. And one thing that occurred to me was that. You know, he was trying so hard to, to curse, you know, curse the Israelites, right? But, you know, if you look at the history of the Israelites up until this point, you know, like God, God spanked them a plenty, right? That, you know, and, and um, that, uh, you know, for some reason, you know, God's not going to let somebody on the outside curse his people, but when his people rebel and grumble, right? You know, he's not short and doling out, you know, punishment on them. And I just find it interesting that actually in the end, we didn't study it in today's text, but that's how they end up getting Israel in trouble is to cause Israel to stumble, right? To, to actually, you know, stray away from God. That's, you know, that's, you know, what, what they ended up, you know, using. You know, whereas this attempt to overtly curse them, it just never panned out. And, you know, I kind of wondered why this particular segment is recorded in scripture, because, I mean, evidently the Israelites don't know about this conversation that's happening, 
right? You know, in, in fact, it's almost like this is recorded for the surrounding nations, right? And somehow, you know, the word got out and then it made its way and then Israel heard about it somehow, you know, later down the line, right? And, um, uh, and you know, I hear I'm getting the sense that, you know, God is trying to be merciful to the surrounding nations too. And he's giving them a chance to actually, you know, hey, don't do this, right? Don't, don't try to mess with my people, right? At least presumably that's what God is trying to tell them here, right? And, um, and you know, he's stubborn. He's, you know, he wouldn't listen, right? And um, yeah, and I think, you know, those or that the last couple oracles came true and they, they were destroyed, right? Um, so. Yep, that's yeah. right. Uh, 24,000 Israelites die because of their rebellion in chapter 25. So that's next time. But you're right. Um, God won't curse them because someone, some outside nation, but he does. He does show his wrath <laughs> uh, at them, uh, uh, you know, um, many times. Okay. Uh, any other observations or kind of some summaries of the B and B brothers? Okay, um, I actually found the that Balak's uh, <laughs> what he says to Balaam actually kind of comical. <laughs> it's like you know he brought this guy over and he did everything that he said, but each time he comes back and like he says something good and like he's going, don't you know, you curse them or at least don't don't bless them. What are you doing to me? You know, I you know I. So it reminded me of Princess Bride where, you know, they're, they're climbing up the cliffs of insanity and like the man in black is gaining and, you know, the Mr. Inconceivable says, you're supposed to be this colossus. You were this great legendary thing. And yet he gains. No, but I'm carrying three people. He goes, I'm just going to have to get myself another giant. It's kind of like he hired Balaam to do his bidding, but Balaam basically does it the opposite, right? He curses he ends up cursing Moab, right, and, and, and just kind of exalting the Israelites. Um, so, you know, Balak reminds me, I think, of today's people, right? So many in, in, our, in our world today pretty much treat God as like this impersonal force, someone that you don't want to, you know, offend, right? Someone that if you align yourself in the right way and do the right things and you know you you kind of you know do enough good or you know avoid enough bad you know he'll you know maybe you could harness right some of this this energy maybe you can pay for it somehow right i think that's what dave was saying that um you know it, it's a very kind of uh, yeah a, a, like um, manipulation or kind of you know, using uh, these things that are available, right? Um, there's no real worship of God. There's no real serious 
study or pursuit or uh, desire to kind of really understand or relate uh, to God, right? It's just kind of raw power and you do what you think like, so, so Balak is not familiar with how to kind of get in touch with, uh, with the divine, let's say. And so, you know, he's, he's excited. He's kind of, you know, he's, he'll, he'll, He's enthusiastic. Dave says he's stubborn, right? He won't give up. Like he's he'll he'll he's desperate, so he'll he'll he wants to do as much as he can in order to you know um, get his desires. But uh, he's so far away from God, right? In fact, um, his the opposite of what he desires comes, um, and I, I just feel it. People really have this kind of you know view of God and and. Sometimes they're religious. Sometimes they'll, you know, pray. Sometimes they'll do something kind of, you know. And and, and I chalk it up to kind of maybe ignorance, right? Not, uh, but also, uh, you know, they're they're so steeped. Uh, Dave, I think, also said that he was so uh, taken by his money that, you know, um, money does a lot in his world accomplishes a lot of what he wants. And so kind of money like really is God uh, for him. And only when it's like, it, 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 it doesn't get him where he wants to, will he, he tap that. And, you know, um, yeah, I do think that this was, uh, there's a lot of warning here, right? A, a chance to uh, really um, maybe be thoughtful, maybe be self examining reflective to see if wow you know Balaam you know at other times maybe he had he must have had a reputation of being able to hurt you know um, to curse people but why in this instance is it like a complete dead end you know um th th there is no kind of like there's no spiritual um depth Right, to Balak, unfortunately, that's stuff. I think he's understandable, though. I think Balaam <clears throat> is um, again. I, we, I think we started talking about it last time. He's the ambiguous guy. He's the one. Yeah, uh, you know, Matt's right. He somehow <clears throat> God spoke to him and through him, right? And so certainly he is a conduit, uh, like a servant not really a servant per se, a messenger, right? But it seems like he has a lot of other, you know, issues, right? We talked about maybe he really wanted to go. He maybe wanted the money. He wanted a better reputation for his business, cursing business. Um, and, and he kind of, you know, God is whatever tolerant of him. God interacts with him, but uh, Balaam does not please God, right? And yeah, he does say, I can only, you know, speak what God speaks. Don't, don't make me, you know, I can't control it, right? That kind of thing. So he's, he's knowledgeable about how God works. But here's my issue with Balaam, right? Um, there is no real um, kind of submission on his part. There's no real... Um, 
no problem. I mean, the, the, it's relational. He he knows God. He knows a lot about God, but there's no like um, kind of the kind of like dependence and 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 like uh, um, submission. Uh, his heart is not submitted to God, right? So he too, right? He's kind of um, just a a hired gun, right? Um, his there's no personal stake uh, here, right? He's just doing what he can in the way, in the manner in which he desires, yeah, to pay the bills. Right? Um, he doesn't have personal um, responsibility. Of course, he cannot do what he he knows that he shouldn't. But there's no like. Not only should I not do it, uh, not only can't I do it, but I shouldn't. You know, there's no morality here. You guys know what I'm saying, what I'm trying to say. Right? And I feel like that actually is worse than Balak. Let's say Balak is just a typical uh, worldly perspective. You know, I need God. And like, just like, you know, people have bowed down to idols or totem poles or use try to get magic or talismans or relics right there there's there's some force and power that you know i don't understand but if i can use it for myself that's great okay well like i said chop that up to um whatever greed or secularity or or shallowness right but balaam knew better i think we have a we have the tendency to be more balaam than balak right where we know who God is, uh, we are, we've heard about him, maybe we've experienced him, maybe he's spoken, you know, through us. But we are not, we don't please God. Right? We are not chosen by God like the Israelites. I mean, we are chosen. We act as if we're not chosen like the Israelites, right? Uh, Balaam is, to me, a very uh, enigmatic and and. Ultimately, I think he's an evil guy because, you know, as David uh, mentioned, um, the reason we find out, it doesn't say in 25, but later on, I think I've mentioned this, is that Balaam is the one who advises um, Midian, Midian Moab kind of in cahoots, uh, how to seduce and get the Israelites in trouble. So he's not really for God. He's not really... Uh, committed uh, to his relationship with God. And that, I think, causes confusion. Right? When we act um, either as a master of our own souls, or the master of our own fortunes, master of our own directions and choices, right? we can't say that we are set apart like the Israelites were chosen. We're not called out. We're, we're basically, you know, Balaam had a, had a let's say, a, a um, Israelite exterior in terms of, you know, what he did and his actions and his words. But he had a very Mo, Moabite heart. Right? Inside, he, he was just like Balak. He wasn't a king. He didn't have much pedigree or maybe he wasn't from a powerful country but that desire to do things to make himself look good to 
for self-advantage, I think that still governed him. That was um, driving him, right? So, um, yeah, lessons to be learned, I think, from maybe both of these guys, right? Any last thoughts? Short, quick questions, anything that um, would be helpful? Let me pray. Lord, um, thank you for uh, a chance to uh, look at these uh, kind of arcane rituals and uh, even some of the oracles are hard to decipher. And um, but I think we see the, the, the human heart um, just on, dis on display. Uh, we see it in um, the um, in Balak in, 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 in doing all he can to uh, press uh, to, to get some sort of upper hand on his perceived enemies. And we see it in his um, his words, his uh, disappointment, even his fury at the failed mission. We, we see it in Balaam especially where he go he does the right thing, says the right things, but What's really inside? Uh, what's inside is um, yeah, so uh, selfish. It's so um, independent. Um, it's deceptive. And uh, Lord, we, uh, I think we see those inklings, those urgings. Maybe it's you know working hard within us right now. We're trying to uh, there's a civil war in, in our hearts going on because of these strong desires um, help us to see the divine here this amazing and uh, free uh, selection of these these Israelites these uh, wanderers these former slaves these um, these Hebrews across the river um, without a country, without an army, without much at all, but uh, they had you, and that made all the difference. Uh, Lord, even though their experience was still far from your plan for them, when we look at that plan, uh, we're so um, moved because it's gracious, because it's uh, amazing, because it's profound. Uh, and now that vision can be ours. Uh, but I, I pray that we are not like the Israelites, wandering all over the place, struggling, even though we have such an amazing God. Um, it's been hard through the pandemic. It's been hard um, in New York. It's been hard trying to live uh, full and free for you. But help us to be encouraged and inspired um, by your, your oracle, quote unquote, your blessing uh, on our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.